Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is the host of the Abroaders podcast and the co-founder of Abroaders.com, a travel hacking website where they help you to maximize your frequent flyer miles to jet set around the world for free. I am super pumped about today's guest because not only do I get to learn from a successful entrepreneur, but his product will help us all to travel better. Please welcome Eric Paquette. Eric, welcome to the show. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of go through your backstory and tell us how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I kind of started my entrepreneurial journey by starting a marketing company with a really good friend that I knew way back from childhood. And we both kind of got finished with university and wanted to travel, wanted to find a way to sort of facilitate that. And so we started up a marketing company. At that point, we really knew absolutely nothing. You know, formal education didn't really set the stage very well for any success with that. So we kind of started out with just selling websites and then hustling around and trying to find contractors on websites like Elance and Odesk to sort of build them. And while we were doing that, we were traveling and just kind of taking advantage of being able to live in places that had much lower cost of living than the U.S., And throughout that process, you know, I had sort of started learning about frequent flyer miles and points while I was in college and signed up for a couple of rewards cards. And we spent like a good part of the first two years kind of back and forth between South America, Europe and Asia. We'd spend like three months in Brazil, three months in Colombia, 
a few months in Europe, either Barcelona or Germany. And then we're, you know, heading out to Southeast Asia to spend some time in like some of the, the entrepreneurial hubs, Bangkok and Ho Chi Minh City. And so AJ and I, suddenly we were just spending more and more time kind of figuring out how things work with points and miles. And we started to have some of the entrepreneurial folks that, um, you know, we were networking with and connecting with in those places, asking us about how we were using points and miles for travel. And so the uh, the Abroaders project kind of started organically from that, where we were just sort of on the side trying to help out friends and, and give advice about what to do. And there was a day I remember really clearly where we had just gone to the Dynamite Circle Conference in Bangkok. And, you know, it had been like a pretty, pretty aggressive travel schedule. We had been flying a lot and just like after this conference kind of decided to take a little bit of a break. And so we flew to Bali and we're just kind of hanging out with a couple of really close friends that were also at this conference previously with us. And AJ and I were just started to kind of talk about like how cool it would be to transition our business and start making our work about travel and about trying to help other people be able to take advantage of of all these loyalty programs that if you knew how they worked, were basically just giving away pretty much free travel or, you know, 50 bucks for an international trip. And so at that point, we decided to start our podcast to try and teach folks about the basics of using points and miles. And then things just kind of grew organically from there. So what year was this that you guys kind of had this epiphany when you were in Bali and you kind of made this switch in the business then? I want to say it was fall of 2013 that we had this conversation. So that's so interesting. So you came from actually like a marketing background. So you understood the marketing of entrepreneurship and the marketing of a business before you even figured out what the business itself was. Yeah, absolutely. We started out just like, like I said, building small websites. Like we had some crazy adventures with hiring people from India that did a horrible job and, you know, just kind of like learned a lot about contracting and how to figure out how to get different skill sets, either by learning them ourselves or by trying to, to go through the process of hiring somebody that was already good at some of those things. And so by that point, we had settled into sort of roles where AJ had learned a ton about how to build websites and about sort of the more technical stuff. And I had kind of gravitated more towards sales and towards the marketing side, marketing strategy, and really had started to consume a lot of content around that. And as soon as we actually had this other idea that wasn't trying to solve those problems for, for other businesses as a service, as soon as we had our own thing that we wanted to, to work on, it just kind of consumed us where all of a sudden we just pretty much wound down the other business as fast as we could and, and started working full time on, on the Abroaders project. Well, that's really interesting as well, because I would say website development and website building, there's many places where you can go for something like that. But the business that you've created with Abroaders is really unique. That's really niche down. So if someone wants to look to an expert for that, you guys have really established yourselves as exactly that. So you're out so far in front of so many other people that even if someone wanted to get involved in this as a business, they would just be years behind you guys. It would just be impossible to catch up, I think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely took a lot of time to get to the point where we sort of felt like we had a 40,000 foot view of, of how things were working with rewards programs and loyalty programs. You know, there are a lot of other companies that, you know, a lot of blogs, a lot of sources of information that talk about points and miles. So we're definitely not the first people in this space. But I think the thing that really makes what we're doing different is that we really wanted to find a way to build a tool that made it easier to personalize 
the travel desires that you have. So in other words, our goal was we saw that there was just like a ton of content that was being produced in sort of blog format. Like, hey, here's a cool trip that you can book with these types of miles or check out this rewards card. It's really great if you want to go to Southeast Asia. And what we realized is that there was so much of that material that what we really wanted to do was build some technology around helping, you know, people just sort through all of the noise and like all the extra information that maybe you don't in particular need for, for your travel goals. And so there's so much variety, I guess, in terms of what people want to accomplish with travel, whether it's, you know, they've got a couple of kids and they want to take them to Europe for a summer vacation or a location independent entrepreneur that wants to be able to travel, you know, five or six times internationally. Those are super different needs. And, you know, what you should be doing as a, from a strategy perspective in terms of what type of points and miles you are pursuing and, and kind of how you're using them is totally different for those situations. And so that was kind of what we set out to do. Use technology and build some tools that make it easier to cut through the noise and, and get the outcome that you want. Well, and I think the custom tools are absolutely key because if you're saying that there are a lot of other bloggers who are talking about this, that's massive. But what I look at is you've also created a brand around this and you've really put a lot of your own personality with your podcast, which is hugely popular. And you and AJ both involved in it every week going on, what, five years, I think. Things like that are what differentiates a successful entrepreneur when they're putting in their own personality instead of just hiding behind, say, a company logo. You guys are out front of this business and they know who the owners are. They know who the founders are. And it all makes sense to people. Yeah, I think that was something that, you know, the podcast is one of my favorite things about about what we do. It's something that we we just it was never a question about whether we were going to continue doing the podcast. It was kind of where we started and just a fundamental way that that we could share information that was a lot of fun. So it's been it's been a great experience. We've met some super cool people. We don't do a ton of interviews, but we do have the chance often to talk to some really awesome, interesting entrepreneurs. And it's just been it's been super fun. Awesome. So what are you going to be working on now? Like, where do you want to take the Abrotas? What are your goals? So at this point, we're sort of still in, I guess, the stage of really learning from our customers. And I think good entrepreneurs would tell you that that actually never ends. But we've just sort of recently gotten to a point where we've got a very basic version of the product that we set out to build, where folks can tell us sort of what their travel plans are, where they want to go and what type of points they have. And then the goal of the web application is to, to just sort of help guide you through the process of what you need to do to get the right points, get enough of the points to, to book your trip. And so at this point, I'm really excited about we're sort of transitioning from the product development and, you know, just learning and making all these mistakes through the process of trying to build this, this sort of MVP product to now doing a much more on the marketing side and just like trying to get the word out. And most importantly, really learning from our customers as far as just kind of understanding how, how they're approaching their, their travel plans and how we can be more valuable to them, how we can help them get to their goals faster and make it more, you know, simpler for them to, you know, because a lot of this is just like many people, most of the feedback that I've gotten from, from folks that are sort of on the edge of, of points and miles where they're not, they're not like travel hackers that, that read all the blogs and, and pay attention to all this stuff. It's just that, you know, everyone's, there's so much information that it's just super easy to just kind of throw up your hands and be like, these miles are way too confusing to use. There's blackout dates and like, I'm just going to buy my flight. 
And so that's what we're really trying to overcome is like it doesn't have to be that complicated. And so I'm really excited about getting the word out and just getting through those repetitions with people, actually getting to the end goal of, of being able to book a trip that's been on their list for for years. And, you know, there's so many people that just like they want to go to Fiji, but they keep going to Florida because Fiji is a lot more expensive and it's just a lot more effort to to do a trip like that. And so we want to help people to stop putting off those goals and, and be able to take those trips that they're, they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And feel so bad for some people when they decide to go to, now, don't get me wrong, I was in Walt Disney last week, but when you, <laughs> you decide to go back to Walt Disney World and it's your fifth time there, but really you've wanted to go overseas, not stay continental United States. It's a bit sad, you know, and it is these false belief patterns that people have, you know, it's too much money, it's too much work. If you're able to take away some of those things and break down those false belief patterns and help them see that actually there are ways to do this and you can do it at a reasonable price and it's really not that much work. Once you break through those types of false belief patterns, you can really help and change someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric, tell me a little bit about your journey over the last five years. I want to hear some times as an entrepreneur that you just fell on your face, that you just failed completely. Something there you thought, oh my God, this is going to be the best thing ever. I'm going to nail this. And you just shit the bed. <laughs> love, love how you word the question, man. I mean, honestly, there've been, there've been a ton of those, those mini moments of, of, you know, making mistakes. I think the hardest part for us in terms of, of what we set out to try and do was, was trying to build the product. And, you know, we definitely made some mistakes that we're still dealing with now. You know, this was the first time for both my co-founder and I in terms of really building a product and having a developer. We hired on a, a developer full-time for, for almost a year to, to sort of build this. And so we, we learned a lot of lessons the hard way on that front. Just, I, I think, you know, like, for example, just sort of making assumptions about what kind of information people would be able to provide easily. So one of the things, you know, like that's really helpful is to, to know which rewards cards you have and roughly when you opened them or, you know, how many points you have in different types, you know, how many American miles, how many United miles. And so one of the things that's challenging about this is, you know, we kind of started out with like a type form survey and we evolved into sort of building this into the, the web application. And there's just some things that, you know, people just don't have that information in front of them. And, you know, we learned too late that, you know, wow, we really need to make it possible to just skip this part and come back again. The other big challenge that we faced in the last couple of years is that we built this product out before we really had a solid revenue model developed. And so went out and raised a little bit of money. So we raised an angel round from some investors actually in Brazil. And it was a really good experience. We learned a ton throughout the process. And our lead investor is just an awesome guy. And so we got, I think, really lucky on that front. But we also had some super scary moments throughout the process where we were waiting for that deal to get done. You know, we had already brought on our developer and we're just basically just money out the door month after month and didn't have this deal finalized with the investors. We're starting to, to take on credit card debt, starting to just like basically run out of money. So that was like super stressful. And, you know, I remember a point where, you know, I had just sort of like maxed out my credit cards personally to just kind of like keep floating until we got to to the point where we had this deal done. And I ended up like just kind of dropping what I was doing. We were in Barcelona at the time 
And I flew back to Brazil to just like meet up with the investors. And we ended up getting that finalized. But it was super stressful and just sort of a, a really important lesson learned for me that, you know, you really need to pay attention to the, the financial aspect of your business and either build yourself a runway by monetizing some some sort of revenue stream that you don't need to build an expensive technology tool to, to create. And there's tons of options for that. There's tons of ways that if we started over, we could have probably done this without raising money by selling products that were, were educational or informational first. So I think those are probably some of the, the highlights, but there's a graveyard of, of mistakes <laughs> that we can talk about. <laughs> no, that's excellent. I'm really happy to hear that. I love failure. I think it's one of my favorite topics. I think it's so interesting. You know, these successful entrepreneurs, it's not a home run first time at bat. It's just just the way it works. Absolutely. I, that's one of the things I love about your show. Listen to quite a few episodes and, you know, just hearing other entrepreneurs talk frankly about where they made mistakes and, you know, sort of what they learned. And that's that's something that you can take away so much value if you're if you're truly listening. And if you hear a lot of really successful people explain that, like, it doesn't just work like that. You don't just, you know, hit a home run and overnight success. So I think it was Dave Woodward that, you know, said like, yeah, this is like a 12 year overnight success. And, you know, Personally, it's been like a 20 year overnight success. And I just I loved hearing that because there's it's so true. You know, like it looks like, uh, wow, these guys came out of nowhere. But nobody noticed when when you were just slogging through it for the first three or four years and, and hadn't got that traction yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's sometimes the fault of the entrepreneur themselves because they have this glossy picture of themselves that they sell to people, whether it be their followers or investors or the market or whomever it is. This glossy painting picture of who they are, their superstar, it's their genetics, it's their DNA to be this amazing. And it's like, no, you are identical to everybody else. You are a human being, you made mistakes, you had failures, you had adversity, and you know, what did you learn from it? What what was that deciding factor that put you over the edge that let you realize your goals? Because it's that that key moment, those those types of things that just fascinate me. So, Eric, where do you think's kind of hot these days for traveling? Because I know you're just like me and you've traveled extensively throughout the world. Where do you think is hot for doing business, for moving overseas, for being a tourist? Yeah, that's a great question. A super fun question, man. So first of all, some of my favorite places to live and work. Colombia is a place that I've spent a, a fair bit of time, especially in Medellin. And so I know that there's really a growing entrepreneurial scene there. And there's a few folks that I'm really close with that I've you know spent more and more time with over the years that have made Colombia home. So I think there's a lot of really nice things about Colombia. It's a very cost friendly place to be. The cost of living is super cheap. The quality of you know what you can get for for a thousand dollars a month in Colombia is just you know blows a lot of other places, especially you know the major markets like the U.S. out of the water. So that's a place that I've always really enjoyed. And I also just, uh, you know, on a personal level, like love the people of Colombia and love the culture. What a beautiful country, eh? Yeah. I was there, I don't know, early 2000s. I spent two months there and I just fell in love with it as well. So I'm definitely on the same page with you with Colombia. Yeah. I guess other places that I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, I went to, to South Africa for the first time uh, last year and spent a fair bit of time in Cape Town. And just really, really love the scene there as well. I think that, it, you know, I didn't really 
I was there traveling, you know, so this was very much the opposite of Columbia where I went to Columbia with, with AJ and our, at the time, uh, lead developer and was, you know, just like working nonstop. And so I got a very different experience in Cape Town where I was there for just a couple of weeks to travel. But I remember thinking to myself on like the third day, just like, this would be such a cool place for a broader to open up an office. Um, because there's just like, it's got a little bit of everything. It's a really cool, beautiful place. You know, Cape Town is just, geographically a really amazing beautiful looking city to to spend time in there's a ton of stuff to do it was very cost effective like you know surprisingly cheap for for a world-class city and so you know that's one that I'm, I'm really interested in spent a fair bit of time in in Spain and in Germany so those are probably my two favorite places to to work in in Europe and I haven't been back to Southeast Asia in quite some time. It's been, I think, 2014 or 15 was the, the last time I was in Asia. But I really enjoy Ho Chi Minh City. I've spent a little bit of time in Bangkok. I don't think I can handle Bangkok for, for a long extended period of time. Bangkok <laughs> is so full on. Oh, my God. It's, it's too much. I love Thailand to death. But Bangkok is is a bit much for me. Yeah. So those are really the places I've got a lot of experience. Um, and then also Brazil, which I don't think is really an awesome place to to set up base if your focus is is really getting things accomplished in your business. I find Brazil to be like an amazing place to spend time and you can get into a great work and life routine there. But Brazil can be also frustrating sometimes with with some of the things that just make it difficult to to do business, you know, with things like internet and, and consistency of of being able to to get established, you know, and set up into in an office that that works for for you being able to be productive. But I really love the country and I really love the people. I've spent a lot of time in Rio and Salvador, which is in northeast Brazil. And there's just there's a ton to offer there too. And I really hope that because there's a there's a very strong undercurrent of entrepreneurship in in Brazil, especially in Belo Horizonte. There's like just there's a lot of startup type stuff going on. And so I'm just rooting for Brazil to to have that truly take hold because the country's got just incredible potential and super smart people. And and so I think that Brazil is possibly going to be one of the next sort of hubs of entrepreneurship, but they're not quite there yet. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that about Brazil. I've been there, I want to say maybe four times or something, but usually just short trips. And I've never really looked at an entrepreneurship community there. But that's something I would definitely want to look into. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I would say like Sao Paulo is like, obviously, that's that's like the mega city of South America. There's so much, you know, so much going on there. And so Sao Paulo is certainly like the hub of investment. And a lot of our experience is also just because of our investors are from Brazil and, and based in Sao Paulo. There's a fair number of branches of U.S.-based venture capital that's based in Silicon Valley that has sort of satellite offices in Sao Paulo. There is, you know, a lot of very interesting, very cool startups that are emerging in Sao Paulo. And then Belo Horizonte is just like a much smaller city. It's the, I believe it's the capital of, of a state that's just neighbor to Sao Paulo state. And they've done a couple of different like startup accelerators, like Startup Chile. So Startup Chile is like a, it was a government funded entrepreneur accelerator in Santiago, Chile. And so basically the, the government 
put up, and I think with some like private investors and funding as well, they would put up like twenty to forty thousand dollars for startups to locate to Santiago and go through this one year program. I remember this. They were actually taking entrepreneurs from around the world and having them come over to Chile. So it wasn't just Chileans who were participating, right? Yeah, that was what was super cool about it. It was, it was open to everybody, and um, you know they like. The only real requirement was that like part of your team needed to locate to Santiago for the the duration of the program. But other than that, it was really broad and like you didn't necessarily have to hire Chileans. But, you know, obviously that was that was part of what they were hoping for. But anyways, Brazil had set up a program that was somewhat similar. I want to say it was called Startup Brazil um, that was based in in Minas Gerais. And I saw that happening and and just like Brazil's right on the edge of of being a place that uh, is really conducive to to new startups. And so I'm, I'm rooting for them. You know, I, I hope that that's because I love spending time there. You know, it's such a fun place to be. So that's kind of the one thing that's that's missing is is a little bit more of an environment that's startup friendly. Yeah, I've been to Rio for like a week. That place is crazy. Brazilians know how to party like no one I've ever seen on the planet. <laughs> so I can definitely understand you wanting to spend time in the country. But I want to check out the entrepreneurship scene there for myself. So definitely, I'm going to look more into that. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. So I want to change gears a little bit, Eric. I want to talk to you kind of about the skills that have kind of helped you be successful as an entrepreneur. So if I have my new listeners who are wanting to be entrepreneurs, what should they focus on to really propel themselves forwards? Wow, that's a that's a really good question, man. I think that for me, one of the most important things that I learned was just to to listen to our customers and you know to try and work through the process of learning. And it sounds like a really weird answer to a question about, you know, what things have you learned? And honestly, like one of the most important skills is that there's going to be just challenges that confront you on, on a day-to-day basis, just back-to-back. As soon as you solve one, you've got the next one. And so just kind of figuring out a process for you to work through those challenges. And in particular, like because I've got a business partner and then about a year ago, we added a third partner. And so now like the founding team is a, is a core group of three. And so we've spent a ton of time just like going through our problem solving and experimentation framework and trying to figure out how to make mistakes faster and how to learn the lessons as quickly as we can. And then how to make really good hypotheses or the best hypotheses that we can about what we think is going to work and what's a good way to test that with the least amount of, of investment in time and effort until we get some positive indications that things are going to work. And so I think for us, like shortening that feedback loop has been something that we've sort of honed as a, as a skill set. And, you know, so to put it in like more concrete terms, um, you know, let's let's say, for example, that we're working on an email promotion that's really trying to get folks to share their travel plans with us and a way to follow up with them that is sort of a mix of education about like, okay, so you want to go to Europe, here's some things that you need to know, which type of points you might want to get, what airlines fly to Europe. And so just sort of like trying to figure out what levers to pull to be able to engage with people about that type of content and to be effective at, at like actually helping them move the ball forward. You know, we went through that sort of learning process multiple, multiple times with 
um, trying to figure out how to how to manage our email marketing and our our email communication. And so I think that's that's been like one of the major things that ever since we sort of finished or finalized the the initial launch of our product, I shifted much more out of the nuts and bolts of what the product was going to do and how it worked and how it looked and into, okay, how do we now communicate with our new users about this and how do we you know, have that information exchange where people can understand what their next step is and what to do. So that's kind of, I guess, been the the biggest challenge or the skill set for me that has been most important. So being able to communicate and being able to influence people with the written word, you think is something that people really need to focus on? I think that if you can master the storytelling and the copywriting aspect of your business, that's that's one that has has eluded me <laughs> since the beginning. It's It's really challenging. I think it's one of the hardest things to learn. And so, you know, I think if you can learn how to do that piece of it, it's incredibly valuable, but I don't think that it's for everybody. I don't think that it's an essential skill set that, you know, sometimes the best answer is to just find somebody that's already really good at that. And if you can hire and delegate that, you know, that might be the right right choice for a lot of entrepreneurs as well. But that's also interesting because that is a skill in itself. Knowing and identifying what things you should be doing yourself and what things you should hire other people to do is self-awareness. That's not something that comes naturally to everybody. A lot of entrepreneurs, when they start out, they think that they need to do everything themselves. It needs to be a one-man show, solopreneurship, and you go forwards and you're you're a jack-of-all-trades and you do everything. <laughs> Actually, most successful entrepreneurs, they, do, they know the one, two, maybe three things that they do exceptionally well. They focus on that. They double down on that, and they outsource everything else. Yep. And it is a really hard thing to, to know how to do. You know, I think you have to go through the process of trying to do everything and realizing that you can't do everything. I mean, it's great if you can if you can take that advice and, and truly take it to heart. But I think even if you know that fundamentally deep down that you shouldn't be doing everything, it's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to take themselves out of, you know, little parts of their business and just have the the ability to to truly create a process that that follows what their vision is and have somebody else execute it. It's so much easier to say than than to do. Yeah, and taking one step off the gas and not micromanaging everything. Looking at the big picture and then being able to delegate to people and trust in their ability. It's not an easy skill to learn, but I definitely agree with you. When you master these types of things or when you become proficient in them, it's when you can really scale the business and really grow the business. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all the leverage, right? You know, like at that point where you're actually spending your time personally working on the places that you can have the biggest lever that you can influence the the success of the business the most and eliminating all of that other stuff if you can get to that point um, you're just going to have, you know, a force multiplier on the on the return of the the time and energy you put in, and you're also going to be way happier because nobody likes, you know, running around worrying about all the little things in their business. Like that's that's a that's a recipe for a nervous breakdown. And if you can j- just be focusing your time and energy on the places that you can have truly a big impact, and that you know, hopefully that you like doing in your business, that's I think the uh, the recipe for for long term success. And I think that a lot of people seem to. To not understand that once you start working on the marketing of the business, once you start working on that persuasion and influence that we were just speaking about, that really is the business. When you focus on marketing the business instead of doing the business, 
you can also really increase things quite quickly because so many of the small skills can be outsourced to other people at a fraction of the time, but no one is ever going to care about the marketing and the message connecting with your customers like you will. Yeah, that is something that at least in the component of building trust and building a relationship, that is not something that you should ever, ever think about outsourcing. You know, you want to connect with with your customers and, you know, that can be ultimately through company culture where you're hiring a team that that has those same values. And, you know, for bigger companies, it's impossible for, for the founder or for the executive team to be connecting with customers. But that just boils down to, to culture and to the type of people that you hire and the, the vision and the values that you bring them on board with so that your company is, is operating in that framework. And then, you know, you as the founder can go focus on the next $10 million and the next $100 million of, of growth that propels the company forward. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. But it's interesting because you have kept your face forwards with your podcast. You have not outsourced something like that. So I think that really reinforces what we're saying is that you're still the figurehead of the company. And you said that you're going to continue doing the podcast no matter what. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we have a ton of fun with it. And uh, I don't see I don't see any scenario where where we stop doing that because it's just it's great and it's also a, a nice way to to stay on top of what's happening because uh, there's a lot of I mean I I know that just from listening to your show that there's so many interesting things that you can keep up on when you're interviewing people and spending time kind of at the the forefront of of what's changing in entrepreneurship and location independence that it just keeps you on your toes in a way that that. Uh, it's hard to do, I think, if you don't have a show that you're responsible for, for putting together every every week. Yeah, absolutely. It's a form of accountability. Now, it doesn't matter in your life how you get accountability, but you look at all successful people, they're accountable to someone out there. Yep. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So listen, I want to switch gears a little bit because I actually, I really am curious. I want to learn from you, Eric. I want to know 
with my own point system for any of my listeners, if they do collect points already or if they are thinking about collecting points, how does all of this work? How does it all fit together? So I think the most important place to, to start is just sort of the, the fundamental idea of what's happening here with the, the loyalty programs is that the airlines are, are issuing these, these frequent flyer miles, so, so the different types of loyalty points. And if they don't think that they're going to sell out uh, all the tickets or all the seats on a flight for people that are paying cash, they're using, they're allowing you to use those miles to redeem, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 frequent flyer miles and get that plane ticket. And all that you pay is the taxes and fees. So I, I guess that's kind of the, the core starting point is that uh, not every flight that's available for sale on Kayak or Google Flights is available with points and miles. But if you earn the right type of points or you sort of build out a portfolio of points, just kind of like you would, would investment. You've got the ability to book a flight pretty much anywhere you want, anytime you want for between, you know, five and $150 in taxes and fees, you can get on a plane and go anywhere. And so that's kind of the fundamental value that underlies this whole process. And so there's a couple of different ways that you can earn miles. So one of them is, is kind of the traditional way by flying. So that was how these loyalty programs started is, is when you buy a flight, the airline wanted to reward you for your loyalty. And so they give you some miles uh, that were actually based on you know how far you flew. You'd earn those frequent flyer miles that you could put towards a free flight in the future. And then in particular in the U.S., what happened is that the banks started getting into this market and they started buying miles from the frequent flyer programs and using them as incentives incentives for folks that use their rewards cards. And so that's where you started to see all of these travel rewards cards, either airline-based cards, so like an American Airlines credit card or, you know, like we were talking about before recording an Etihad credit card if you're based in, in Abu Dhabi. And so there just started to be this proliferation of different rewards cards products where you earn miles or points by using the card for everyday purchases. And so the economics behind that are that the banks get a commission, basically, when you use their card to buy something, they get a little percentage from the merchant. Any entrepreneur that, that accepts credit cards kind of feels that pain and, and knows the banks are taking a, a chunk of the transaction value there. And so as an incentive and to, to be competitive with, with all the other banks out there, they're offering these rewards cards that give you miles for the spending that you do on the card. And so the major way, especially for folks that are based in the U.S. or have access to the financial system, so in other words, have a social security number or a, a FICO score in the U.S., there is just a ton of competition right now in that market for these rewards cards. And so for travelers, what it means is that there are a huge variety of cards that you can get and use for either your personal expenses or your business expenses and accumulate these miles super fast. And so, you know, if you take in comparison, earning miles through flights, a lot of times, even an international flight, you're going to earn 5,000, 6,000, maybe 10,000 miles at the most. And with these rewards cards, often you're earning one or two or three miles per dollar that you're spending. And you're also able to get a big sign-up bonus at the beginning when you open the card Often the banks are giving away anywhere from 40 to 100,000 miles just as sort of a thank you or an incentive for signing up. And so that's kind of the overall layout of the opportunity with points and miles. And so if you're able to accumulate the right points, you can turn those into trips 
and especially for your listeners that have their own business and that have control over what the business expenses, you know, how those those things are purchased. If you use the right rewards card, and especially if you have either a lot of inventory expense that you can buy with credit cards, so like drop shippers, for example, or folks that do advertising on Facebook or Google AdWords, those types of expenses where your business is just, you know, you have a positive ROI from those types of transactions, that can be a recipe for just basically an unlimited supply of these frequent flyer miles that you can use to, to book a ton of really cheap, super valuable travel. I know when I was listening to your podcast, you were mentioning that you actually don't even need to be profitable in your business. Literally, if you are breaking even on, say, AdWords or Facebook ads, if you are breaking even on your business, you can basically travel around the world for free just by doing that. Yeah, that's totally true. And so one of the things that's going on is that a couple of different cards right now, small business cards, offer three three points per dollar on AdWords. So kind of the, the gold standard is a point per dollar. And so with this three you're you're earning miles three times as fast on ad spend as you know just other any other general category and so you can kind of think about like a, a one-way international economy flight is typically between 30 and 40 thousand uh, points and so if you spend ten thousand dollars a month on adwords and make ten thousand and one dollars in in revenue from from those those leads you've also just created a one-way ticket anywhere you want to go that you can do that every single month and so you know a lot of the people that we work with are you know at a much higher scale where they're they're doing maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars in in ad spending or just you know in other other card expenses that they can they have for their business and at that point you know it's possible to basically fly in business and first class so tickets that cost three thousand to ten thousand dollars to buy you can book those with miles as well and the same sort of fundamental cost applies with the taxes and fees so you're going to pay anywhere from five dollars to you know maybe two hundred or two hundred and fifty dollars in taxes for like a $6,000 plane ticket. And yeah, if you if you just break even or, or you know, have a business that has a lot of expense turnover, you're just printing miles and, and free travel for yourself and, and whoever you want to take along. So quick question, is there any ethical or legal problems for using your business cards and then using it for personal travel or anything like that that people need to be worried about? No, that's a really good question. So there's there's definitely no ethical or, or legal constraints around being able to use the, the frequent flyer miles for, for personal use, at least not that I'm aware of. One of the big things that's that's really powerful about these, these miles is that they're considered, at least as far as U.S. tax law goes, they're considered a rebate on spending. And so the IRS doesn't tax frequent flyer miles that you earn from rewards cards in the same way that they tax interest or that they tax other types of income. And so that's like a really powerful thing where you're essentially earning a tax-free travel fund by turning you know, your business spending or your personal spending into points and miles. Now, this is something that's always subject to change. So it's important that, you know, I'm also not an attorney, all that disclaimer stuff. But at the moment of the release of this show, and this has been, you know, since this this market really got going, that the IRS doesn't doesn't tax miles at all. And so you're able to just basically have 
your business spending generate an account of miles that have real value that you can exchange for flights that are essentially tax-free. And so what a lot of people will do, though, is, you know, if there's a, an expense that is, you know, truly a business expense, you know, you're going to a conference for, for your business or you're traveling to, to meet with clients, a lot of times, you know, it makes more sense from a tax perspective to put those transactions by those flights for cash and use, you know, your business card because those are going to be a deduction because it's a truly a business expense. You know, there's a legitimate reason that you're buying that travel. So it can make sense to pay for those in cash and then use the miles on personal travel that otherwise wouldn't be a deduction because it's just basically, you know, a free free travel account that you can use to, to book flights. So basically, if you had a successful entrepreneur and he was running all his ads and all his business expenses through and he was collecting miles and he decided he wants to go to Fiji or to Paris or to Tokyo or anywhere in the United States and he wants to fly first class and these tickets are $10,000 a piece and he goes and does three, four trips, at the end of the year, you don't have to pay any taxes on those points. No, you know, I guess there's a few different situations where where you are going to actually pay taxes where like one of the reasons that it's not 100% free is that when you redeem miles, you still pay the taxes and carrier imposed fees. So maybe it's a $10,000 first class ticket, let's say on on the Pan Airways. So you're flying JFK to Tokyo and you book that trip with your your frequent flyer miles, you're going to get the airfare part of the ticket for free. And so that might be $9,800, but you're still going to pay the airport taxes. And so the cash copay, you know, sort of the out-of-pocket, um, there's some taxes that are on the ticket. You still pay those. But as far as the the value of the points that you've earned in the U.S. in particular, and this is the only one I'm, I'm really familiar with, the IRS just basically treats that like a, a rebate or a partial refund on the spending that you do. And so they don't apply any taxes to those miles. And so, you know, that $10,000 plane ticket, if you bought it with revenue from your business and if it's a you know a personal trip for for leisure you're going to pay taxes on that income before you go buy that $10,000 ticket and with the the frequent flyer points if you want to take points that you earn from business or personal expenses and exchange them for that ticket there are no taxes on those those points at this point that's amazing because before I listened to your podcast, every time I heard of air miles and free good flying miles, all I was thinking is like, oh yeah, taking maybe one economy class seat flight a year on some short haul destination. I was like, that's not very attractive to me. I fly pretty much exclusively business class anyways. So, you know, it, it didn't really appeal to me. But now when I'm learning, oh, actually I can get my first class tickets. I can get my business class tickets. I can do multiple trips. This is amazing. Yeah, the overall value, sort of the hierarchy of where you get the most value for your points. First of all, if you're already in a financial position where you buy business and first class tickets, you know, those folks, you know, still still shop for for the best price and the best combination of value for for those tickets. But if you're in a position where you would consider paying three or four thousand dollars for a flight to be able to sleep on your way to across the ocean, those folks can get even more value per point because, you know, like the overall value of an economy ticket, you know, worst case scenario, if you're flying a really odd route or a really, you know, long, crazy multi-city ticket, you know, economy tickets usually only cost a thousand to two thousand dollars at the most for international. So that's kind of the cap on your savings. But if you regularly purchase a five thousand dollar business class ticket because you just you don't do coach, you know, it's not five times as many miles to get a business class ticket. And so the the value is really high there. And then the same thing applies to international versus domestic. There are some 
opportunities where it does make sense to buy short haul flights with miles, especially like close to departure. So in the last you know week before you're going to travel, something comes up and you find out you have to book a ticket. Sometimes those tickets can be really expensive, but often you know the domestic travel, the the short flight from New York to Washington D.C. or something like that is not going to be a great deal. Those are the types of flights that typically you want to buy cash. You know, just pay two or three hundred bucks, get the plane ticket, and save your miles for the international and especially for business and first class travel. That's where you can really get the most value. So with these points, do you ever use them for other things? Do you use them to purchase goods or I, I like? I've usually used my points to buy electronics and things like that. What other things can you do with the points or do you encourage people just to be using them for flights? That's a great question. So often, and this is not always the case, there there can be good deals on, on that front. But in general, the highest value use of loyalty points is going to be flights and in some cases, hotels. In general, the types of shopping mall opportunities where you can exchange your points for gift cards or for electronics or coffee makers or, you know, it's just expanded and expanded the number of options that you have. But those are often big, big traps in terms of losing value. Like I've seen on, you know, the different airline mile shopping malls that you can literally choose between like a nice coffee maker or a business class round trip ticket and they're the same number of miles. And so it's really easy to make a mistake and spend just an obnoxious number of miles. And part of it, it's by design. You know, the loyalty programs, there's a reason that everything has like an extra five zeros on it. Like a trip is like, you know, a round trip to Europe in economy from the U.S. is like 50 or 60,000 miles. And, you know, you just start adding those zeros and people just kind of their eyes glaze over and you lose track of like what a mile is actually worth. And that's intentional. And so there's a lot of situations where you could you could either have, you know, a one way business class flight from from the U.S. to Asia or you could have a, a new Xbox. And when you look at the the actual retail cost of like, oh, I want to buy a one way, that's going to be seven thousand dollars to buy that that trip on Cathay Pacific. And, you know, what's the new Xbox? Three hundred dollars. And like there, there are those situations where you can really spend a ton of miles on on something that you could just buy for cash at a, at a much better rate and use the miles for for travel that's much more expensive. So for my listeners who want to take what you have to say and make some changes when they start collecting points, what are some tips that you can give them that they can implement straight away? So I think the the first thing to to consider is that there's sort of a couple of different types of points that are out there. And so to to sort of generalize into three main groups, you've got cashback type points where it's essentially just every point has sort of a fixed dollar value. And so those types of points are often easier to use and, and more consistent in terms of you know what you're getting, but the value tends to be quite a bit lower because they're just pegged to a dollar value. The second type is like the airline specific types of points. So American Airlines miles, United miles, Delta miles, all those unique frequent flyer programs. So those are sort of the second category. The place that I would recommend starting are the transferable currencies. So there are a couple of different types of bank points that can actually transfer to a whole bunch of different hotel and frequent flyer programs. So in other words, the main ones are Amex membership rewards, Chase Ultimate Rewards, uh, City Thank You Rewards. Those are kind of the three bank uh, transferable currencies. And there's actually a brand new one that has just been announced in like the last couple of weeks from Barclay, which is going to be transferable to a bunch of different programs as well. And so if you're just getting started, I would absolutely start with Chase 
and Amex as the the two types of points because they transfer to a whole bunch of different programs. And so your ability to book travel with those miles just increases exponentially because you've got all of these different options where your chase points can become United points or they can become Singapore points or they can become British Airways points. And so whatever type of point you actually need for the trip that you want, you can just log into the Chase website and go in there and transfer the points to that program once you've found that, hey, the flights are available, it's a good price, the taxes are reasonable, I want that ticket, then you can move those points. And so it makes them much more flexible and you don't need to know as much about how everything works, You know which type of points you should get for which region of the world. So if you're just starting and you wanna make a big change that, that will put you in a great position to, to benefit from this, take a look at cards that earn Chase Ultimate Rewards and cards that earn Amex membership rewards and look for cards that have a sign up bonus, you know, of 50,000 or more points because the bank is just basically buying you as a customer. They're they're buying a ton of miles all at once from the airline and giving them to you as a thank you for signing up for that card. And they're doing that because they know that the lifetime value of having you as a customer is going to be very strong. And so there's a way that when you open that new account and you start that relationship with the bank, you should be looking to, to take advantage of one of those sign-up bonus rewards because often that can be enough for a round-trip in economy or, or a business class one way just as a, as a sign-up bonus for the card. So opposed to signing up with the airline themselves and doing like one specific airline and just focusing on their points, you're saying that people should be able to do ones that you can transfer the points to many different airlines to their specific frequent flyer programs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's nothing wrong with the airline currencies. There's a few different what they call co-branded cards. So like a Citibank card that earns a American Airline miles or a Chase card that earns United miles. Those are great, great cards. And a lot of them have very, very high high value propositions where you can get a ton of value, but that's probably not the best place to start because you need to understand a little bit more about how that frequent flyer program works, what their rules are, whether they have a lot of options to go where you travel the most. And so it's easier to, I guess, make a mistake where you get the wrong type of points that just aren't great for what you want to do. And a safer way to start out is to get some of those transferable points where you've just got way more options. And it's just much harder to get kind of stuck with points that you can't use for the particular trip you want if you've got those type of transferable points. And do you ever encourage people to try to get to the next level with these rewards programs, like to get to that platinum level or gold level or anything like that? So the earning elite status is it's a really good question. And often that is something that's much more tied to uh spending money with with either the airline or the hotel. So in other words, there are some some frequent flyer credit card products that make it easier to earn elite status. They'll give you some some credit or give you kind of a shortcut or a boost towards getting that elite status. But for the most part, the programs are still designed around rewarding the airline or the hotel's best paying customers. And so really one of the only ways to to become an elite member or have elite status is by giving your business to that particular airline or that hotel over and over and over. Uh, there are a few shortcuts there. Often, if you have status with one airline, for example, another airline will offer a status match or a status challenge where, you know, just for example, say you have elite status with Delta, you're a Delta Diamond, so that's their top tier status. Um, and you earn that by, you know, presumably by flying with Delta all the time. 
Well, a lot of times American or United will see you as Delta's awesome customer and they want your business to, they want to steal your business. And so one of the ways that you can sort of leverage elite status is by taking advantage of of challenges where American comes over and says, hey, Mikkel, I see you've been a great customer for Delta. So we'd like to give you top tier status. And uh, all you need to do is, is start flying with us and we'll give you all the same benefits as, as you're getting with Delta. And, you know, maybe you want to give us a try. And so that's a way that you can uh, maybe shortcut your way to elite status. But for the most part, you have to earn status the hard way of buying flights and buying hotel stays with cash. And that's one major thing is that when you redeem points, you don't get credit towards elite status. So every time you book that business class flight with miles instead of cash, one of the drawbacks is that you don't earn any frequent flyer miles for that trip because it's a it's a redemption ticket rather than a revenue ticket. And you also don't make any progress towards elite status. So if you have a powerful way to generate miles with credit cards, it's a great thing in terms of saving you money on on travel, but it's not going to help you get elite status for that. For the most part, you got to buy. That makes perfect sense. So what about some of the other programs out there? Like I'm Canadian and we have air miles and I know there's like aeroplan miles, but I've never seen them tied to one specific airline. How do those kind of things work? Do you recommend them? Are they any good? Yeah. So aeroplan is a great program. It's one that we use all the time because they're a transfer partner of American Express membership rewards. So if you have that transferable currency, aeroplan is one of your options and they have a really great award pricing. So the, the number of miles required for different destinations is pretty competitive. So they're an awesome program. I would say like with each specific frequent flyer program, I guess to step back for a second and give just a little bit of history, the reason that Aeroplan is a separate company is that Air Canada, I believe, spun off the loyalty program part of their business and sold it. And one of the things that's actually true for a lot of frequent flyer programs, I know this is true for a couple of the major U.S. airlines, is that the loyalty program is actually generating more profit than the airline itself by a long shot. And in some cases, the the frequent flyer program is valued at more than the airline. And you got to consider that the airline also owns all, all these hugely expensive assets like, you know, $500 million planes. And in some of these cases, the frequent flyer program is worth more than the airline itself. So you can see that this is like it's a huge profit center for airlines to have these loyalty programs. And the banks in particular in the U.S. have been fueling that that growth because they're buying billions of dollars worth of miles from the frequent flyer program. And they're saying like, okay, American you know, here's a billion dollars. Give us all these miles that we can give away to our credit card holders because we know that's going to make them use our card more and that's going to make us money in the long run. And so that's kind of the situation with Aeroplan where they're a separate frequent flyer program. They're a separate entity from Air Canada, the airline. But the Aeroplan miles can be used to book on all of the different airlines in Star Alliance. And so that means that not just Air Canada, and this is one of like the fundamental assumptions that people make in error with different types of points and miles is that if you have Air Canada miles, you can book on like 27 plus different airlines. So that means your miles could be used to book a flight on Singapore Airlines, on Asiana, on Lufthansa, on Portugal, on South African Airways. The list is is huge. And so understanding the partnerships between these airlines is one of the kind of 
fundamental things that you have to learn if you want to do this travel hacking stuff yourself. That's one of the things that we do for people because it can be a lot to, to keep track of. But the key takeaway here is that if you have American Airlines miles, you can use them on a whole bunch of different airlines. I think about 25 different airlines. You can turn an American mile into a flight on a whole bunch of different airlines that are not American. So you've generally got a lot more options than you may realize with each type of frequent flyer point. So explain to me, because you just brought up something really interesting. I am listening to you now, and I am getting a little bit confused. And I've traveled like really extensively over the last 20 years. And even I'm getting a little bit confused by all this stuff. Sure. So how, as a business, do you help people? How do you work as a business to simplify things so that these entrepreneurs, they can focus on building their business, they can still get the benefits, they can still travel business class a few times a year and do all the things they want to do, but not have to follow it as closely as you do? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, like one of the original things that we started doing way back at the beginning is we just started doing this for people. That was like the original source of the demand for for like why we started the Abroaders project in, in the first place was that we had a bunch of entrepreneur friends that were like, I want to book a business class ticket and I can't figure out how to do it. Can you help me? So what we do on that front is like you just tell us when and where you want to travel and we'll book the ticket for you for a fee. So that's like the easiest shortcut to not having to worry about understanding how all the programs work. And then we also provide free help with choosing the right type of points. So, you know, like I said, as a general rule, you can start with just the transferable currencies and look for a credit card that has a a big sign-up bonus that you can earn and get a lot of miles all at once. But if you want even more, you know, sort of personalized help, that's a big part of what the Abroaders website is designed for. So you tell us where you want to go, you know, any travel that you have coming up and what rewards cards you already have or what points you already have. And we'll go through and recommend rewards cards for you based on sort of that, that criteria. And so those are kind of the two ways, like it's should be for folks that don't want to do this as a hobby and you know aren't interested in learning all the details all that you really need to do to have success at getting value out of this is to maybe once or twice a year do sort of a review of of your different points and miles and adjust your earning strategy so maybe swap business cards you know you've got a bunch of chase points get an amex card and start earning amex points you can do that once or twice a year and cover all of your bases. And then on the using side where you're redeeming your points, if you wanna cut through, there's really no easy shortcut right now that exists today. That's one of the things that we're setting out to build is sort of a search engine like Google Flights or Kayak that just does the the search for you. But it's a much more complicated process because of all the different airline partnerships and the different ways the points can be used. So right now, the solution to that is, you know, that we just have a a concierge service that says, where do you want to go? And then we go through and do the research and figure out how to book the ticket for you. So this is so cool because you're an entrepreneur and you've built your own business, but the business is actually something that you love to do because you travel around the world and you love to be abroad and you love to experience all these new places. So now you're able to do it for a free or let's say a small, small fee with the taxes, but you've really built this around your own passion and really built it around solving a problem for someone. So I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun to go along this journey. It was not immediately apparent to me when I started doing this for myself that there was a business opportunity here. And like looking back at it, retrospectively, it seems so obvious that like, wow, not many people want to spend like 
you know, 10 hours trying to figure out how all this stuff works. Um, but I, you know, truly just did it at the beginning because of, of a love of travel and, and being totally broke, you know, like being a, a college student that didn't have any money for travel and realizing that like, wow, I can go to Brazil on a round trip ticket for like $20 in taxes like that I can afford. And if I can get those miles by just using a different credit card instead of a debit card that doesn't give me any rewards to use a credit card for gas and groceries and all the basic stuff that I buy anyways, that was where it started. And, you know, from there we realized that there was just a ton of people that were missing a big opportunity that were just, it was the complication of everything and the confusion around how it works, causing people to say like, nope, this isn't for me. Like I have got too much going on with my family or my kids or my work. And like, this is not an extra thing I'm willing to take on. And so that was what we set out to, to solve. No, I love it because not only have I had a chance to learn from you as an entrepreneur, I'm actually learning from you about your business. Because on the podcast, I traditionally just focus on entrepreneurship and success mindset, that type of thing. But actually learning about the product that you do yourself has been really educational for me. Because honestly, I've not really put a lot of thought into the reward miles I collect. Like, I just kind of collect, and like I said, I buy some electronics, some new computer equipment, random things, and never really thought too much about it. But now I have to kind of take stock of what miles I have and the best way and the most appropriate way to use them to get the best value out of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people are in that situation as well, where many times when people sign up and, and create an account, they come in with, you know, different miles that they've earned. They've, they've grabbed some miles from a trip that they took. They claim the miles for flying. They have this old rewards card that, you know, they forgot about that was in a drawer, but, you know, they earned 20 or 30,000 miles when they were using that card. So often people just have this, like, you know, if you think about the actual value of those miles and their their potential of what they could be, a lot of times people show up with like $20,000 worth of travel in the bank that they just don't know about and they don't know how to unlock that value. So, you know, I think most people that are listening probably have some frequent flyer account that they're like probably opening up their laptop and trying to trying to remember their password to figure out how many miles or whether those miles have expired. And unfortunately, the banks and, and loyalty programs play some nasty games with that stuff where, you know, a lot of these frequent flyer miles expire if you don't use them. So if you've forgotten about them for two years, they may be gone already. Um, and so, you know, that can be a bummer, but the important thing is to take ownership of it now, spend like 15 minutes just figuring out where you stand with points and miles, figure out if you have some, figure out if you have any rewards cards that earn them, and then reach out to us, sign up for an account, and, and we'll try and help you put that in perspective of what you can do with those points, what kind of travel you're looking at, and what the next step is in terms of, of how to, to be able to get further along the path towards the, the trip that you want. I love it. Spend 15 to 20 minutes and possibly find $20,000 worth of travel benefits. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Great hourly wage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Eric, say that I take a flight, I'm using my points, I'm flying first class across the world, and I go over to Brazil, and I meet you in Brazil. And we're sitting down at the pub, having a couple of beers, maybe a couple of, uh, what are those drinks in Brazil that they have? What are those called? Those special Caipirinhas. Yeah. So we're sitting around and we're having the <laughs> capadias. <laughs> I'm embarrassing myself now. Hey, that's all right, man. They, they, know how to, they know how to collect an order from a gringo that doesn't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. And they're like, oh yeah, I know what you want. I will bring you one of those right away. So we're on our second one of those. And I lean in and I'm like, Eric, what's that secret to success? What's that one 
million dollar secret to success that if I told anybody, you'd have to kill me. <laughs> well, we wouldn't want to take it to that dark place, but I'll, I'll share. I'll share what I think is has been my secret to success. I think first, as a preface, you have to understand that success is not going to be every time. And so persistence is the underlying secret to to all success. But beyond that, I think for me, one of the most important things that has helped me to move forward and develop has been interacting with other entrepreneurs and other people that have been through the challenges that I'm currently facing. There's always someone who has done that rodeo and has made those mistakes already. And being able to access that information is really just a matter of reaching out. I've been so just overwhelmed by how generous people have been with their time. And, you know, if you, it's got to be, you know, coming from the right place, you know, being respectful of somebody's time and being to the point and asking for help on something, you know, do your research first. But I think that being able to reach out to other entrepreneurs and develop those relationships where you can, you can get knowledge that's just, you know, light years more advanced because of, you know, where you are in your business and somebody that's already been through that, that struggle and has taken things to the next level can really help you just leapfrog over, over years of being quagmired in, you know, a situation where you just don't have the experience or the perspective to, to know what to do next or how to try and execute. So that, in combination with persistence, I think, is the secret to success. Leverage other people's knowledge. And that doesn't have to be in a in a, a one-on-one, you know, personal, like, get on the phone and help me. That can also be through, you know, things like this podcast, you know, like listening to you interview awesome entrepreneurs that have tons of experience. You can absorb that knowledge that way, too. But I think that's one of the really key ways to set yourself apart. I love it. That's brilliant. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. If my listeners, they want to get a hold of you, this really speaks to them and they want to learn more, where can I send them? Yeah, so the best place is our website, abroaders.com. It's free to create an account. So just like sign up, share the information that you have about what points you have and especially what travel plans you have coming up. And we'll try and help you maximize that and take you know those points and turn them into the flights you're looking for. And so abroaders.com is the best place. If you want to reach me personally, send an email to support at abroaders.com and I will do my very best to get back in touch with you. It's fantastic. Thanks so much, Eric. You have a great day, okay? Yeah, you too. Thanks very much for having me. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report 
uh, has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.